And I want to welcome you to church, everyone in Mesa, everyone in Ahwatukee, welcome. So glad you're at church today. Uh, if you're watching online, we're having Pump It Up Day here at both of our campuses. So if you're not here and you feel like you're missing out, you are, okay? So we're having a good time. We wish you were here um, as we continue this series on the parables of Jesus. Parables are metaphors that Jesus taught to help us ex- uh, understand heavenly principles using stories that we can relate to as human beings. And today we're going to study the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep that helps us understand how God feels towards sinners. That's so important. Have you ever lost something, anybody? Like you lost something, it's a terrible feeling. Maybe you were late to work and you lost your keys and you're like, God, if you ever do anything for me, just help me find my keys right now. I I hate when I lose things. Like, have you ever left your wallet somewhere and you know, I'm gonna have to cancel my credit cards. I'm gonna have to to get a new driver's license, which going to the MVD, it's like going to hell. I've already been delivered from hell. I don't wanna go there. I feel like the worst thing that could happen to someone who lives in Arizona is losing your sunglasses, right? Because you could lose your wallet and people are more likely to return that than if you lose your sunglasses. They're like a commodity in Arizona. You leave your sunglasses in a restaurant, you run back in, you have that sinking feeling in your stomach. Like, like, have you seen my sunglasses? People look at you like, no, I didn't see your sunglasses. I, I never saw sunglasses in my life. And you're like, Okay, thanks. So, I hate it because you invest money in those things, and I've bought a lot of sunglasses now. But I think about how God feels towards lost people, and this parable helps us understand his feelings towards lost people. Anyone who doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is lost. They're lost. Luke chapter 15, we read about the parable of the lost sheep. I'm going to read this, and you can read along with me. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's how God feels about lost people. He cares about lost people. And this came up because Jesus was hanging out with a lot of sinners and lost people. According to the Old Testament law, even associating with sinful people would make you guilty by association. And it wasn't just about having a bad reputation, but you could become literally spiritually unclean in God's sight by hanging around with with sinful people. David, another shepherd, in Psalm 26 talks about this. He says, declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. He was saying, I'm righteous, God. I don't hang out with wicked people or, or with liars or, or with sinners. But here's Jesus fraternizing with sinners. 
hanging out with, with tax collectors and the Pharisees didn't like that. It said in 15 verse 1, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners would come and listen to Jesus teach. People in this day and age despise tax collectors. So not much has changed. But <laughs> tax collectors were especially despised because they represented the oppressive Roman government that ruled over the Jewish people. And so these were Jewish men who collected taxes on behalf of the Romans. And so it felt like a betrayal to start with, but then they would collect extra taxes and they had to and pocket the difference, keeping some for themselves. So they were hated among the Jewish people. And then there were notorious sinners. Anyone here say, I was a notorious sinner before I met Jesus? You just own it. Like all day we have people in church that are like, oh, me. And other people are like, me, <laughs> you know. Like, there were notorious sinners, people who didn't even pretend to follow the religious laws of the day. But these people, sinners and tax collectors, outcasts, prostitutes, gangsters, they were drawn to Jesus. There was something about him that attracted sinners rather than repelling sinners. You know why I think these notorious sinners were attracted to Jesus? Because notorious sinners have tried everything else. They've experienced every other vice and substance and pleasure and found that those things still leave you empty at the end of the day. And so when Jesus came along the living water and he started to teach the truth, it began to quench a thirst that notorious sinners realize they have and they're drawn to him. Something is different about Jesus. But these Pharisees didn't like that. And maybe you're like, what's a Pharisee? Pharisees were a group of religious guys. They practiced the religious laws of the Old Testament very devoutly. And they weren't necessarily bad guys. Uh, there were actually some guys that were Pharisees that I think had a good heart. But the thing is, most of these Pharisees, they got so wrapped up in the rules that they missed God's heart towards people. And they saw these sinful people hanging out with Jesus. And they thought, well, Jesus, you're supposed to be a religious leader. How can you let all these sinners be around you? How come you're eating with them? How come you're hanging out with these guys? And so Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15 that we read to help us understand God's heart towards sinners. Now, I love this parable. It's, it's such a visible illustration of how God thinks about us and his attitude towards us when we're lost and trapped in sin. He said a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and if one of them goes missing, in verse 4, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? So let's just kind of up front establish that we are the lost sheep. And I think the lost sheep can represent someone who has never come to Christ or a, a Christian who has maybe wandered away from God and gotten caught up in harmful things or sin. And Jesus wants us to know that God loves lost people. Right. He will move heaven and earth to reach those who are lost. You might remember when you were lost. You might remember when you were far from God. Some of you are far from God right now, and maybe you're wondering if God wants anything to do with you. You need to know that Jesus doesn't run from sinners. He runs to sinners. That's what God does. I want to help you understand three major points today. This is the first one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus doesn't run from sinners. He runs to sinners. 
I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, and if you hang out around a church long enough, you're eventually going to cross, cross paths with somebody who maybe sounds like or talks like a Pharisee. Sometimes it's not even their fault. Sometimes people just have heard bad teaching or they've been misguided. They were never taught how God really views sinners. And I think if you've been a Christian for a while, you can be sometimes in, in risk of developing a pharisaical attitude in your heart without even realizing it. And in fact, the longer you've been a Christian, the more naturally you're going to spend time with Christians. And over time, you've got to be careful that you don't only spend time with Christians and lose touch with those who are lost. Otherwise, you run the risk of starting to look down your nose at those who are far from God and not being able to relate to what it was like to be in that position. Growing up in church, I was taught right from wrong. doesn't mean I always did right, but I definitely knew what was wrong. Amen? And so I would see people who are far from God, people who were obviously not serving Him, and, and honestly, it kind of freaked me out. Like, I, I'd see people, they're getting drunk all the time, they're sleeping around, every other word out of their mouth is a curse word, they're doing all the things that notorious sinners do. And it kind of scared me, honestly. Like, I'd be like, I'd be like oh, oh, like oh, stay away from me, don't, don't come over here with, with your sinful cooties and infect me. <laughs> And, and I think there are people who have that mindset towards those who are sinners. Pharisees, they look at sinners that way, almost just like scared of them. Like, ew, 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 gross. You guys are gross. And they're repelled. They're repelled by sinners. There's oftentimes Christians who think that God looks that way at sinners. It's funny how it's easy to feel repulsed by the sins that you don't struggle with. But we'll become real understanding about the sins that we do struggle with, don't we? Like I'll hear people like, I hate liars. I can't stand liars. And then they'll lose their temper, and they'll be like, well, everybody has a temper. It's not my fault. I'm German. I'm Irish. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Spanish. It's not my fault. But liars, liars go to hell. <laughs> like, it's like, that's not fair, right? The Pharisees, they saw this lost sinful people. They were turned off by them. They thought they were gross. They wanted to get away. But what happens when you're confronted with your own sins? The Bible says that Satan, our accuser, will surely remind us of our sins. And if you think that God is repulsed by sinners, you'll soon be believe that he's repulsed by you. You'll end up hating people and hiding from God. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others and go searching for the one that is lost? Now, I hear that question, and I don't know about you, but I have a very practical way of thinking about things. In my mind, if I have 100 sheep and I lose one, I'm not going to leave the 99 that I have less and go searching for the one lost sheep. To me, it's like a pretty simple math equation, like 99 or one. I'm not leaving 99 in the wilderness to go after one. It's not like it's a family pet that I'm emotionally attached to. These sheep are business commodities, okay? Like, so cut your losses and move on with your 99. That's, that's my attitude, like, no, I wouldn't. At least a regular shepherd wouldn't, but Jesus is not a regular shepherd, is he? In John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The Hebrew word for shepherd, ra'ah, was often used as the word for best friend. Jesus says, I am your best friend. 
And he does what a best friend would do, what a good shepherd would do. He does, in fact, leave the 99 to rescue the one. So how this theologically plays out, what I mean by the fact that that God runs to sinners is that we as humans have all sinned, the Bible says. Nobody was born innocent and lived a perfect life. Like, that hasn't happened yet. We all have a sinful nature. We've all messed up. Nobody is righteous, the Bible says. No one does good, not even one. You're like, my grandma was really nice. She was a sweet grandma. You're like, she's a sinner too. Your grandma's a sinner. Okay, and so our sin made us guilty in God's sight. And because God is a good and just God, he has to punish sin. If he didn't punish it, he would not be a God of justice. And so we were lost and hopeless, and God's options were either smoke us or save us. He decided to save us. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. He was fully God and fully man. And he came into our world. He put on humanity. And then Jesus fully lived a righteous life. The only righteous person who's ever lived was Jesus. He lived the righteous life that we could not live, which made him completely innocent. He was not guilty of sin. And and then so you understand how crazy it is that he laid his life down on a cross. He died absorbing the wickedness of our sin, absorbing the punishment for our sin unto himself. God punished Jesus so that he could forgive you. Jesus took the punishment we deserve so that we could receive the reward that Jesus deserved. You need to understand this. God didn't just forgive your debt. Jesus actually paid your debt. So we can only receive mercy because God has already enacted justice punishing Jesus for our sins. Realize that God, he knows everything that has ever happened and everything that will ever happen. Think about that. That means that God created humanity knowing in advance that we would reject him and that he would have to die to save us, and he did it anyway. That's not rational, is it? Like, we would not expect that. From a human point of view, we would say it's not rational. He's God. He doesn't owe us anything, and yet he gave everything for us. Just like a shepherd leaving 99 sheep to go after one sheep. It seems crazy. It's even more radical for Jesus to leave the throne room of heaven and come into our world and then give up his life for humankind with no guarantee that we would use our free will to accept him rather than continue rejecting him. It was risky. It seems irrational. It's funny to think that God's love for us is so irrational, whereas for us, the only logical choice is to choose God. Like, like, if you're far from God, like the prodigal son, the Bible says he came to his senses, you realize at one point, like, what am I doing? Like, I can't save myself. This is all making me miserable. The only option I have is to, to serve God and to turn my life over to him. Like, you have no other choice. Like the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, he made this kind of statement that even if God wasn't real and you lived your whole life serving him, the worst thing that would happen is that you would live your life by a high moral standard and maybe give up some pleasures. But if God is real and you don't serve him, the worst thing that will happen is you lose your life and spend eternity in hell separated from God. So the only logical choice is choosing God. 
It's rational for us to choose God. It makes sense. It's crazy to not choose Jesus, whereas it's crazy for Jesus to love us. God's love for us is irrational. God is irrationally in love with you. He does what doesn't make sense in pursuit of you and because he loves you so much. So we got to understand that, that God is not afraid of sinners. He's not running from them. He's not trying to keep them far away. We need to make sure that as Christians, we don't live our lives like sinners have spiritual cooties we're going to catch. Religious people run from sinners. Jesus conquers sin as our Redeemer and runs to sinners. That's what we need to keep in mind that he's pursuing. He is seeking and saving the lost. In our parable in verse 5, it said that when the shepherd had found the lost sheep, what, what, what does he do? He will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Like, if I had to chase me down, I'd be coming after me with a rolled up newspaper. You know what I'm saying? Like, bad sheep, bad sheep. Like, that's, just, that's what I would do. I'd be so mad. Like, I chased you all over the wilderness. I stubbed my toe on a rock for you. I got scratched by thorns for you. I fell down and I dropped my water. I've been thirsty all day. Come here, sheep. Think about what God did, though, right? Like, after he chased your hard-headed self down, laying his life down for you before you even appreciated it, when he found you, he did not greet you with a backhand and a curse. Instead, he lifted you up in his arms, and he celebrated the fact that he found you. He joyfully carried you home on his shoulders. He began to kiss your face off. I'm so glad I found you. I've been so worried about you. I've been looking everywhere for you. Rejoice! That's what he said. I'm excited. It tells me this, that Jesus doesn't beat sinners down. He lifts sinners up. That's what God does. I remember quitting a, a sports team that I was on in high school. I was not in good shape. So all the exercise we were forced to do didn't sit well with me. I was miserable and in pain. You can judge me. Um, but I quit. I was like, I'm out. I quit. I'm still embarrassed about it a little bit, but that's okay. I quit. I was too weak. I quit, and I was in Spanish class, and then one day the coach, he came to find me. He was like, why'd you quit? I'm so disappointed in you. I was in Spanish class. He pulled me out. I was like, no bueno. The coach is here. That's, that's, all, that's all I knew. Uh, and he's like, why'd you quit? I'm disappointed. You need to come back. And I was like, I can't. I'm so, I can't. And he's like, I'm just really disappointed in you. And I felt so bad. Like I had let him down. I mean, honestly, I did leave, leave, let him down. That's, that's the truth. And I think about how often Christians carry around this burden, feeling guilty like they let God down, expecting that God is disappointed in them, Maybe feeling like God is this angry, disappointed disciplinarian who is looking to make us pay for our sins. That's the way that a lot of religions depict God, in fact. But that's not what God does. The good, the good shepherd, he doesn't beat sheep down. He was already beaten for the lost sheep. He's not looking to make us pay because he already paid for our sins. And I, I don't know about you, but maybe you've gone through a hard time and you've asked yourself, like, is God punishing me for my past sins? I think too many Christians have asked that question. Is this God punishing me for what I did in my past? That's not what he does. He's not looking to beat you down. He's not looking to make you pay. He already paid the price for your sins. He's not mad that he had to chase you. He's celebrating the fact that he found you. 
He said, I've been searching for you for 35 years. I've been searching for you for 18 years. I've been searching for you for 65 years. I was looking for you. I'm never letting you out of my sight again. I am so glad that I found you. In John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves only for wages is not a real shepherd because he has no heart for the sheep. He will run away and abandon them when he sees the wolf coming. Jesus is contrasting himself with a hired hand, a hired hand who would give up when when things get tough. But he's different. Jesus is different. He's the good shepherd. And when things get difficult, when your relationship is strained, he doesn't just give up on you. He sees the wolf coming and stands by your side. See, the wolf in this represents your spiritual enemy, the devil, who wants to destroy you. Satan knows that his eternity is in the lake of fire away from God, and he wants to take as many of us with him as possible. The wolf, he prowls around looking to devour you. The good shepherd, he laid his life down on a cross to break the teeth of the wolf and save us from death. And then I want you to watch this. As Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he made it possible for us to be lifted up into his arms. The good shepherd then joyfully carries us home, celebrating along the way. You need to know this. If Jesus loves you enough to die for you, then he loves you too much to be mad at you. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you for what you've done. He's not mad at you for the sins that you committed this last week. He celebrates that you're in his arms. He's not looking to beat down the sheep. He loves the sheep. If you study sheep, you'll find that they're pretty dumb animals. So this is a very appropriate illustration. Without a shepherd, they would be in big trouble. Basically, they're walking lamb chops unless a shepherd is protecting them. And let's be honest, some sheep are dumber than others. Some sheep just tend to keep wandering away, wandering away, and and the shepherd has to keep coming after him. Now, there's a common story I've heard taught by pastors. It's a myth that says one of the common practices is if a sheep kept wandering away, the shepherd would break its leg and carry it to keep it from wandering away. And the story goes that while he carried the sheep with the broken leg, the leg would heal. And when the leg was healed, the sheep would be so emotionally attached to the shepherd that it would never wander away again. And I hear that story. I understand the point that's trying to be made. But there's actually no biblical truth to support that story. And there's no historical account that shows us that that would be a common practice. It tells me that's not what the good shepherd does. Jesus does discipline us. But he doesn't hurt us. He doesn't need to break your leg to keep you from wandering away. He's not willing to break your leg to keep you from wandering away. He doesn't hurt us. He came to heal us. He came to heal our hearts and heal our minds and heal our bodies. He doesn't hurt us. And and honestly, when we do wander away, because let's be honest, like even once you become a Christian, you're still going to struggle with sin. Amen? Amen? Right? We do sometimes wander a little bit off course for where God wants us to be. And some of you are like, I wandered way off course. And you need need to know how God thinks about you. He's not looking to come after you. Bam! He's ready for you to come home. 
He's pursuing you. He lifts you up with joy and carries us home. That's what he does. He doesn't punish us. He doesn't beat us down. He lifts us up. The good shepherd, John 10, verse 14, he says, I alone am the good shepherd. There are no other gods beside me. There's no other way to the Father beside me. There are no other true religions besides what I am teaching you. I alone am the good shepherd. I'm the only one whose hope, you, you, can, you can only have hope in me is what he's saying. I'm the truth. I'm the way. I'm the life. You need to realize what Jesus said. He didn't say that there are many paths to God. He didn't say that there are many ways to get to heaven. He said, there is one way. I alone, he said, am the good shepherd. And I know those whose hearts are mine, for they recognize me and know me. I am ready to give my life for the sheep. And he says this. This is interesting. And I have other sheep. Who are these other sheep? That I will gather which are not of this Jewish flock. And I, their shepherd, must lead them too. And they will follow me and listen to my voice. And I will join them all into one flock with one shepherd. Okay, so, so what's that about? Jesus is talking about the fact that, that God originally recognized the Jewish people as his chosen people. Throughout the whole Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. They alone were able to be saved by God. Okay, And, and so here is, here is this dynamic that existed for thousands of years. There are the Jewish people and outsiders. Those who are in, those who are out. Have you ever felt like an outsider? It's not a good feeling when you're not picked for the kickball team, is it? Like, it's not a good feeling. Like, when I was in the Army, I used to go into the USO at the airports. Have you ever seen the USO sign in airports? If you don't know what a USO is, it's this magical fantasy land in every airport where military members can go in, and there's free food, and you can sleep, and you can watch movies. It's, like, amazing. It's, like, heaven. It's better than the exclusive clubs the airlines have to offer. So it's pretty cool. When you fly, you go into the USO, the USO and you treat yourself, right? Like, it's, it's really nice. And then when I got out of the army, I was a pastor, you know, I, I was kind of longing for the old perks of being in the military. So I'm in the airport, and I, and I tried to go into the USO. I just walked up all cool, and I was like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm going to sign in. And they're like, can I see, you know, your ID? And, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know. And, and she told me, she said, well, sir, this is only for active duty soldiers. And I was like, well, well I was active duty. Like, I'm a pastor now. I'm in the Lord's army. <laughs> And she's like, no, I'm sorry, you can't come in. I mean, she straight up just rejected me. She's like, bye, bye, bye. Like, she just told me to, like, leave. And, I mean, I was heartbroken. I was sad. I said, unbreak my heart, say you love me again, right? I was like, please let me in. I want to come back, you know. It's been so bad. And, like, I hate that feeling uh, that I've been rejected, you know, the feeling of being an outsider, and I think a lot of us can relate to that idea, that feeling, what it's like to be on the outside. Some people, they've come to church, maybe for the first time today, and you're wondering, like, am I an outsider? Like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, do, do, I, do I belong here? You need to know how Jesus thinks about you. Jesus doesn't push sinners out. He brings sinners in. Yeah. That's what he does. And see, the Pharisees, they were, they were offended that Jesus would eat with sinners and social outsiders. And they would have been even more shocked if they would have realized that Jesus was going to tear down the wall between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles, the Bible calls them. Anyone here who wasn't Jewish before you came to Jesus, you would be called a Gentile by the Bible. 
We are not God's people by birth. We are outsiders. We don't belong. But here's what Jesus did. He tore down the divide, didn't he? He accomplished what hundreds of years of equal rights movements couldn't accomplish. He said, there's no longer man or woman, free or slave, Jew or Gentile. He came for people of all ethnicities and social statuses and backgrounds. He wants to see all lost sheep brought into the fold, right? And he's looking for anyone. Like, if you feel like an outsider, you don't have to stay that way. Jesus welcomes you, and he wants to bring you in. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus only came for people who look like you. That's not the way it works, right? The good shepherd's looking for all the lost sheep, those who are trapped in false religions, those who are living in sexual sin, those who are voting for politicians you don't like. He came to rescue all the lost sheep, and he wants to bring them into the one true flock. Now, there are some churches that they have kind of this idea, this policy. It's not really spoken usually, but but it's like an unspoken reality that if you're not one of us, you don't belong here. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to a church like this. I've visited some where you walk in and you just feel like you don't belong. Like people are looking at you as if you have horns growing out of your head. What are you doing here, right? I need you to understand that this is unfortunately too common and it's pharisaical thinking. It's religious thinking. It does not reflect the heart of God. So this church will always be a place where sinners are welcomed in and never pushed out because that's how God feels about sinners. And, and I know some people are worried about that. They'll be like, but aren't you going to tell the sinners that they're sinners? It's like, well, yes, we will. At times that will come up as we discuss what the Bible says. But you have to realize something, Pharisees. The Holy Spirit is so much better at changing people's hearts than any of us are. It's true. So... We'll always teach people the truth, but we're not like the junior Holy Spirit. We haven't been deputized to do his job. He is the one who transforms hearts and he convicts people of sin. And it's our responsibility to teach the truth. We're committed to teaching the truth, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Because it's good for us, right? We need the truth is what sets us free. And so at any given moment in every one of our church services happening today, there are gasp sinners. And we're not looking to boot them to the curb. You know what I'm saying? Like, get your act together or you've got to leave. Where better place could a sinner be than at a church, right? The church is not a club for the elite. It's a hospital for the broken. Jesus is called the great physician. And so if you're in church and you have sin in your life, maybe it's even hidden sin right now and you, and you think nobody knows about it. You kind of are pretending like God doesn't know about it. And you almost think in the back of your mind, like if this came out, I'm pretty sure I'd get zapped with a lightning bolt or something. You need to know that that's not how God feels about sinners. He's not looking to push them out. He wants to bring them in. That's what he does. We read how God feels about sinners in Luke 15, verse 6. At the end of this parable, we're reminded that when the shepherd arrives, when he arrives back with the lost sheep, he'll call together all his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Isn't that good? That means that for us who are Christians, we're doing our thing, we're trying to follow Jesus, we're trying to do good, we're trying to spread the gospel, we're trying to memorize scripture. All those good things we do, God's like, I'm proud of you. That's really good. That's what you, that's what you should do. But when one lost sinner comes home, all of heaven and the angels throw a party. There's more rejoicing over one lost person who comes home than over 99 Christians who are doing what they're supposed to do. You realize that? Like, so, so we got to be careful that as Christians, we don't walk around patting ourselves on the back. Like, man, I'm doing real good and not get even more excited about lost people coming to Jesus. Because that's what heaven really celebrates, the lost coming home, the lost being found. And that's what this church has to be all about until Jesus comes back, the lost being found. Yeah, yeah, we want Christians to come here and to learn and to grow. You're going to grow if you show up. You realize that, right? Like if you are a part of a church body, if you serve, if you're in a small group, you will grow. You won't be able to help yourself but grow because you're planted in good soil and you're being watered so you'll grow whether you like it or not. But we're about reaching the lost. That's why we grow as Christians, so we can become better at reaching the lost. Not so we can sit around in our ivory tower and feel good about how much we've grown. It's to reach those who are lost. That's what Jesus does. So I want to speak to the church. Understand that when we emphasize God's grace towards sinners, it doesn't mean that we should become casual towards sin. God loves sinners, but he is not tolerant towards sin. And we have to make sure we understand the difference. Sin is very serious to God. We don't want to look down our nose at sinners, but we need to understand and always remember that God, he does not want us to sin. It's so serious to him that he died to pay the pr- Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. It's not this like casual thing that we laugh at like, oh yeah, you know, I sin. <laughs> we all sin. <laughs> like, it's a big deal. And when people are lost and far from God and trapped in sin, like it's not cute to God. He knows that that sin is causing them to go a direction that will ultimately lead towards destruction. So we have to guard our hearts against sin. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So as Christians, we have to guard our hearts, that we don't let sin creep into our lives. Jesus came to chase sinners, but we have to guard our hearts and and avoid putting ourselves into situations that might cause us to stumble as Christians, right? Right. So, like, I, I want to chase after sinners. I want to seek and save the lost, but I'm not going to chase sinners into the strip club. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm here to witness today. Like, no, that's not a good idea. I came to tell you about Jesus. Like, no, no, I got to guard my heart. There are some people who, even though God loves them, I can't spend a lot of time with them because I know that if I spend too much time with them, they'll drag me down. And the first step to growing is understanding where you're weak. So if you struggle in certain areas, like if you struggle with impulse control, then you don't need to be spending the weekends with all your crazy frat bros. You know what I'm saying? 
If you struggle with sexual purity, but all your girlfriends are sleeping with people they're not married to, like that, that, that could make it really hard for you. You got to be careful. You got to guard your heart, knowing that eventually bad company corrupts good character. Psalm 119, verse 115, David, we'll go back to David. He said this about sinful people. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I intend to obey the commands of my God. It doesn't mean that we don't love lost people or sinners. It just means that we got to be careful who we let into our life. Because if you intend to obey the commands of God, you've got to recognize that there are some people who could drag you down. And I just want to say this. Some of you have people in your life right now who are dragging you down and making it harder for you to serve the Lord. And you might have to make some adjustments to your inner circle. It doesn't mean that you stop loving lost people. It doesn't mean you stop praying for lost people. But you might have to stop spending as much time with some of the lost people that you used to spend all your time with before you were found. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to think about this. Even though God loves sinners, I still need to watch out for sin I need to guard my heart even as I rest in God's grace. Amen? Amen. So how does that work? How do we do that? How do we, how do we love sinners without overlooking sin? I, I want to be cautious and guard against sin, but I don't want to become a Pharisee. How do I do that? Psalm 23 verse 1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. But then watch this. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. So here's what our, our good shepherd does. He lets us rest, but he also guides us along right paths. And I think this kind of teaches us how to think about God's grace and about sin. We have to guard our hearts against sin, but we also need to rest in God's grace. We have to guard against sin and be cautious, but we also need to rest in God's grace. We have to be careful. We, we, we got to be careful. We can't just try to kind of like do one and, and stay balanced. Like people will ask me, you know, how can I guard against sin and, and still be balanced and not become a Pharisee? The thing is like we're not good at balancing, are we? We're not good at balancing. Like if you try to balance on one leg, like you'll fall eventually. We give gold medals to people who have good balance. And that's why God gave us two legs. So he, like, and I think that kind of teaches us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to guard against sin and be cautious, but also rest in God's grace and be comforted by the fact that Jesus is our Savior, right? And, and so that's the way that I should think about sin and guard against sin. I should, I should guard against sin and be cautious and rest in God's grace. Like, like, I'm not trying to balance on one leg, but I'm trying to do both things simultaneously in harmony, like guard and grace, guard and grace, right? I'm trying to be cautious, and I'm also trying to take comfort in God's grace. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. That's why the Apostle Paul spent all of Romans 5 telling us how God, God's grace is so big and so amazing and so overwhelming. But then in the very next chapter in Romans 6, he's like, well, that doesn't mean we should go on sinning so that God's grace can abound. We gotta, we gotta expl explain God's grace and rest in it, but also guard against sin. Because you've died to your sinful nature. I gotta be, I gotta be comforted by Jesus, but also be cautious about sin in my life. I'm doing both things 
at the same time. Like, I'm not trying to stand in balance. I'm trying to run after the prize, right? Guarded and grace. Guarded and grace. I'm taking caution, but I'm being comforted. That's what the good shepherd does. He leads us to rest in his grace, but he also leads us along the paths of righteousness. He wants us to enjoy the fact and be comforted by the fact that we're saved by grace, but he wants us to stand guard against sin. He wants us to follow him along the paths of righteousness. Aren't you grateful that we serve a loving, good shepherd and not an angry, vengeful God? I am. Let's, let's stand to our feet, both locations, Ahwatukee and Mesa. We're going to stand up and get ready to respond to this message. I, I, I want to say this in closing. We saw how David, another shepherd, he had to avoid the wicked, whereas Jesus was able to pursue the wicked, right? David knew that if I'm around lost people, it will make me unclean. It's because he had to worry about that. But, but Jesus doesn't have to worry about that. You see, it's not that David was a bad shepherd. It's just that he wasn't the good shepherd. Yes, Jesus isn't worried about our sin making him unclean. He knows it's his touch that makes the unclean clean. Yes. He wants to make us clean. That's why he loves us the way he does. He runs after us when we're lost. He lifts us up when we're broken and too weak to do anything on our own. And he carries us home with joyful heart. That's what God does. And that's how he feels about sinful people. We got to give God praise one time. Come on. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and pray, uh, closing our eyes. If you're here and you've been a Christian, but you've been wandering from God, I want you to know that it's never too late to rededicate your life to Jesus and come home to him. He's not ready to punish you. He's not going to backhand you or make you pay. He is longing for you and ready to lift you up in his arms. He loves you his people. So you can always return to him. If you're here and you'd say, well, I need to give my life to Jesus. I maybe never have, or it's been so long that I don't even remember what it was like to be a part of his family. I need to come home to him. Today's an opportunity for you to do that. And I just want to explain really briefly. It takes us recognizing that we have sin in our lives, that we can't save ourselves and that we need God to save us. And that's why we know Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But the Bible says that he also rose again from the grave to give us victory over sin and death. And because he rose again, we have the promise of eternal life through him. We know that through Jesus we'll never die. Through Jesus we'll have victory over sin and sickness and death. And that is the promise that's available to us, eternal life through Jesus. We don't deserve it. It's a gift God gives us. It's his grace. And we're saved by simply believing that Jesus saves us. We're trusting him to save us. That's a gift. It's God's grace. We're just putting our faith in Jesus. So if you're ready to take that step of faith today, I want to just lead you in this prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me as a way of just talking to God. Just say, God, I need you and I know that I've sinned. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place. And I believe that he rose again. I want to follow you from this day forward. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. Thank you for loving me before I even appreciated it. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.